0: Hey everyone, welcome to yet another episode of Events with Benefits, a podcast designed to help nonprofit organizations raise more money and achieve greater success at your fundraising events. My name is Danny Hooper. I'm a fundraising auctioneer uh, based in Canada and down here in sunny Southern California, once again at the world headquarters of Winspire, where we produce events with benefits. And I'm joined today by my co-host, the VP of marketing, Ian Loth. Great to have you back, Danny, as always. And the lady who's uh, who had the vision to create this podcast, uh, Renee Zhao from Donation Match uh, out of San Diego. Renee, good to see you always.
1: Good to see you again, Danny.
0: All right, today we've got uh, a great guest. I'm excited about this guest because we're going to Canada. Now to talk to uh, Claire Kerr, and Claire is the Director of Digital Philanthropy at Frontstream is the name of the company. It's a U.S.-based uh, firm. I think they're based out of Boston, but she's out of the Toronto uh, office, so uh, uh, i looking forward to finding out what's up with our Blue Jays. Anyway, uh, she's an expert in digital philanthropy, and we're going to be talking today about uh, promoting your event through social media, uh, ways to boost your fundraising results using uh, social media and other digital platforms. And uh, she's going to share with us some of her secrets about some of her favorite apps that she uses it's a rapidly changing landscape out there if it has anything to do as we know with technology and that's what we're focusing on in today's episode so Ian. Yeah, I just wanted to say really quick about what Claire's talking about today, and actually a few of the episodes that
2: we've been uh, doing here recently, and that's about, uh, you know, this incoming generation of millennials, and how do we apply, you know, what the existing architecture of nonprofit fundraising events, and uh, apply some of the new technology and new tools that are, are available in the landscape, and oftentimes for free, and Facebook is definitely one of those, uh, especially when it comes to event promotion, but also uh, this other bidding technology, and uh and FrontStream. Uh, the company that she's a part of has been growing very rapidly recently. I uh, acquired bidding for good and a few others uh, to do kind of this, this this full service. And you're starting to see this in the industry now, where uh, you're getting this full service uh, of tools, uh, digital tools that should really be helping you, uh, you know, really run your event. And it's almost getting to the point where people are starting to expect it. It's not like it's some new novel tool anymore. It's it's something where people do expect to be able to use their phone, register for an event, all using their mobile mobile device or or on their computer. So uh, she provides some really good tools and tips uh, here today to to get that going uh, for your audience. So uh, whip out that notepad. Uh, Renee, what do you think about it?
1: Well, I think it's very interesting that part of Claire's job is actually analyzing the success of the digital users in their platform and really studying what's working for organizations around the world. That are using them. So she's not only pulling it from specific studies they do, but really from real world examples. And, you know, learning about the different, like you mentioned, social media channels that are working, her favorite ways to use them right now, which, who knows, might change in the next year or two. But, um, you know, always looking at the different personas. And we we talk about marketing personas a lot of the time or donor personas, but even applying that to your companies that you are trying to partner with and realizing that the people within those companies that are making decisions to, to partner with you are not, are really, are just that. They're still people with their own needs. And anyway, she dives into much more than just that. And I really encourage you to listen all the way to the end.
0: All right, with that said, let's take a deep dive right now into the world of digital philanthropy with Claire Kerr. All right, our special guest today, Claire Kerr from uh, a company called Frontstream. She's the director of digital philanthropy. And first of all, Claire, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for taking the time to uh, join us here on Events with Benefits.
3: Thank you, this is very exciting
0: yeah, it should be fun. Uh, really interested to learn more about uh, what you do, but just before we get started uh, you 're based in Toronto and uh, i 'm originally from Edmonton, now living in victoria so even though the podcast is is being recorded down here mm-hmm. in sunny Southern California, I want you to know i 'm a fellow Canadian. you have a friend in me <laughs> that 's absolutely awesome i think these I think my American friends here the Renee and Ian take us for granted sometimes they don 't realize that that we're their defense partners to the north and i think we're doing a darn good job
3: absolutely you know like they say canada's america's hat
0: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly uh all right well i guess we could talk blue jays we could talk maple leafs but we should probably talk about uh, digital philanthropy and uh more importantly <laughs> let's get let's get started by talking about frontstream uh tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about your company i know you guys have been going through a lot of growth there and uh what exactly is frontstream
3: yeah well uh At FrontStream, we have a suite of online fundraising, peer-to-peer campaign management, donor management, um, auction management, and also workplace philanthropy services um, for charities and nonprofits around the world. We are Boston-based. My office is in Toronto. We're also in Australia and the UK. And the best part of my job is that I get to roll up all the data that I can see across the platform in these multiple countries. And then I look at what uh, donors, volunteers, event participants, and fundraisers are doing online, and then I get to share that data with you in benchmarking uh, reports and in workshops like at um, AFP or N10, and in really cool podcast opportunities like this one.
0: All right. Well, uh, what's the data telling you? What's going on out there?
3: Okay. Tons of we know that online giving is growing, um, but we now know um, that uh, in the in the U.S., we think that the majority of your donors and your participants, particularly in events, are expecting to have online experiences. So they're expecting that checkout experience that they have uh, from you know shopping online. I'm sure that you have an experience shopping online, Black Friday, uh, buying event tickets, that kind of thing even just looking up information for something you might want to buy while you're in store, you tend to do that on your mobile phone. And so your donors, your event participants, your volunteers, when they want to have a transactional experience with your organization, whether it's signing a petition, registering for an event, making a donation, they're going to want to do that online and expect to have the same experience or a better experience than they would offline or um, that they would have at a regular retailer. So, donors, your your audience is um, far more sophisticated than they were even five or ten years ago. Uh, we
0: talked in another one of our podcasts with one of our guests uh, about the change. There's a real transition going on out there right now in the world of uh, fundraising and uh, fundraising events uh, in that we see kind of the baby boomers moving on through now these are people who have uh, been giving already for many many years and there's kind of a changing of the guard and a lot of the young turks are coming in the younger people and uh, we're having to shift our focus to this younger audience Um, so I'll have you speak to that and and how do we really get those younger uh, people engaged with these causes.
3: Sure, there's, there's a lot to say about that. Um, but one would, uh, don't give up on your baby boomers or any of your older generations because the stats are showing now that um, when you think about it, the average Facebook user is over 40 years old. Um, everyone sort of, um, the joke is if you don't have, that Facebook is the most popular commercial social platform out there and the joke is if you don't have a Facebook account by now, you just don't want one. It's not like you haven't heard of it, right? Because it's very, it's reached sort of market saturation. Um, and babe, both baby boomers and uh, Gen X, Gen Y, if you want to like lump those millennials in, um, are increasingly mobile optimized and are doing things on mobile devices. So we sort of have this in our mind that it's only these younger generations that are um, driving social platforms or that are driving e-commerce experiences online. But now these behaviors are prevalent in all of these generations. Right now, when we look at online donation patterns, um, we see over 50% of donors are coming in through smartphones and tablets, predominantly smartphones. That's just browser, like on the mobile browser. That's not text to donate. That's just um, surfing on your uh, your iPhone or your iPad and then making a donation to charity. And that's not necessarily being driven by the younger generations, which we know don't tend to donate as much or as often as some of those older generations. So when you are focusing on digital strategies for your nonprofit, you have the benefit of knowing that the positive changes you make in your digital strategy are going to affect multiple generations, and you're not just going to be hitting those um, millennials that are just entering the workforce or um, the Gen Xs that you know have young families. You're going to be hitting a variety of generations that are choosing to do things online more frequently, just like they're driving e-commerce for industry.
0: Uh, Claire, I'm a fundraising auctioneer, and I've really noticed uh, over about the past four or five years uh, the uh, tablet bidding, bidding um, mm, yeah, at the events. Uh, do you folks get involved in that at all? And, and one of the things I've noticed is the high adoption rate with the older people in the audience. You know, it surprises yeah. me. That, you know, you get a lot of people, obviously grandparents out there, and they, they love these bidding tablets. What's your experience, been?
3: Oh, it's been great. Um, It's one of the services that we have at Frontstream and I've seen them in my life as an event volunteer and just um, working at Frontstream. Um, if for those that, that aren't aware how this works is that you think about you're doing an auction it's typically a paper bid sheet and I think what all of us who have ever volunteered an event or run one for a charity you know what that's like you go and you check how many people have written something down and then at the end of the night you run around with your neon um, highlighter and you kind of like highlight the last bid right and your guests throughout the night they're kind of gonna maybe um, you know float around and check on their bids and see how things are going when you go mobile with that process what you're doing is at the point of registration you typically get um, your your uh, guests to buy their ticket maybe they um, you know buy a raffle ticket as well but then they also can register to bid which means that on their phone they can see the items that are either physically in front of them or um, maybe they're an experiential item that they can just see um, on their on their iPhone or on their tablet or you know any kind of um, smartphone and then they can bid from their phone maybe from their from the cocktail party, from sitting at the table, from being on the golf course, depending on what kind of event it is that happens to have an auction, and the best part of that is if someone also outbids them, you get a notification, which means that you can then, you know, bid a little bit higher, or maybe even set a maximum bid, so the computer will automatically bid for you. It sort of removes the piece, uh, removes the sort of worry, and also removes the kind of forgetfulness, like oh right, did I put a bid down for something? I should go back and check it just before the end of close. And then on the side, um, so we know the guests love it. And um, any guest that has a smartphone, and and I've noticed just this personal experience, but I'm sure that industry stats back this up too, that the majority of people have an experience now either, you know, typing, registering for something on their smartphone, or using an app, um, or texting somebody back, these are all things that could be included in your mobile bidding software, depending on what provider you use. So that sort of behavior of sending an email or registering for something online is really familiar to, to everyone. Um, so the majority of your guests are going to be able to use these platforms. And in fact, um, I see the smiles on their faces when they realize that they don't have to get up from the table and keep checking that clipboard. And then for you as a charity on the back end, when you use one of these services, is fantastic because... Not only your, – your checkout experience is really enabled to um – a lot quicker than it would typically be when someone says oh they got a a notification that they won their item you're able to check them out automatically if you've got their payment details at the point of registration so you can say okay thank you you know charge their cards here's your item Um, it's a lot quicker than having those huge lineups at uh, the the cash out at the end of the event so your volunteers thank you for it too (laughs) I personally like it when I go to these events and I see that they have some sort of mobile bidding option um, and um, um, it's It's also easy to have volunteers to help anybody who maybe doesn't feel comfortable using their own phone or maybe doesn't have a smartphone. You can still um, help them bid through iPads or bid on a laptop, whatever makes them most comfortable. The majority of guests are still going to want to do it um, online once you 've tried it uh, you don 't want to go back then that 's where we tend to see a lot of guests saying, "Oh, at this previous event, I did mobile bidding so because i 'm the chair of this other event i 'm going to suggest that they test this out for the future so sort of word of mouth, kind of like how peer to peer was back in the day when we moved from pledge sheets for um, a run walk or a cycle event. Now all run walk cycle events, they have the online registration online donation, pledge a friend, you know, whether it's Movember or whatever. Um, Back in the day, people were really tied to those pledge sheets, and now they have the expectation that everything's going to be online.
0: Well, you've pointed out one of the key uh, features of mobile bidding or online bidding, uh, especially at events, is it uh, negates or uh, gets rid of those long lineups at the end of the night. And every study I've ever seen And even here at Windspire, they've conducted studies. That's the number one complaint that guests have about going out to events is the long lineup at the end of the night when everybody just wants to get home. So that clearly is a benefit of the mobile bidding. Uh, Have you noticed uh, an uptake? Let's just talk about the money. Have you noticed not an uptake, an uptick uh, in the amount of revenue generated in the silent auctions when they're using mobile bidding?
3: Yeah absolutely they can. Um, There's a bunch of reasons for that. One is that you have less opportunity for that because you already have their payment uh, information, you're able to charge their cards right away, and so you don't have to chase people down um, after the event. So that that's definitely there. We also find that people are bidding on multiple um, items. So we'll see often that uh, because it, it's so easy, you can actually just go on your phone and see how many different items there are. You're not running from clipboard to clipboard. So um, we think that uh, when people are bidding, the average guest um, who bids will bid on three or four items. Whether or not they win them, that's still great because multiple bids drive up your overall um, you know, final item price. And um, we tend to see for mobile bidding events with Bidding for Good is about 20% more revenue. So that's um, fantastic for um, any, any event manager, of course. There's a lot of reasons why doing things online ends up having a um, higher revenue, just like I mentioned before. It's the same effect that we see with peer-to-peer. The more you drive people online, the more um, automize, it, automize the process that um, you do. All of that helps you. is more efficient for um, your back end and it's also a lot more painless for your guests and increase the, the uh, enjoyment that they have at your event.
0: All right. Very good. Let's talk about uh, social media and uh, ways to boost uh, your fundraising results through effective use of social media.
3: Okay, awesome. Uh, what I think is so effective about social media that I'm most excited about now is social targeting. So I call this the, you know, the hidden weapon of the nonprofit world uh, for, often, for how often I hear nonprofits, especially the small to medium ones, tell me that they've used it on a campaign. Social advertising, um, social ad spend is going to hit $35 billion in 2017. And maybe even more relevant than that is the fact that social media ad budgets for industry have doubled in the U.S. in the last two years. And that's because... Marketers are tracking and seeing the effectiveness of this tactic for lots of different conversion goals. So, getting people to buy something, getting people to sign up for a retailer's newsletter, um, getting somebody to follow them on social media, then get them into that stage of the purchase funnel. These are all different conversion goals that you can go after when you use social media for targeting the right people for uh, your cause. So, let's, social ads. Let's, let's
0: Let's look at a case study if you have one, how a nonprofit would effectively use uh, social media then.
3: Yeah, okay. Um, I have a great example. Um, so, there is a tactic that you can use which is called custom audiences. So, this means inside a platform like Facebook or Twitter, you can actually upload uh, a list of data points, typically email addresses. If you're a charity and you have um, a 1,000 donors that are your very high-value donors, maybe they're monthly donors, and you want to encourage them to do something else, maybe you want to encourage those donors to register for an event, or maybe you want to encourage them to increase their monthly donation, you can upload that list inside... Uh, the social network, let's say Facebook in this case, and then you can target your messaging towards those people specifically. Facebook will look and see if there is a match on the information you've given them. You can also do this with a Facebook ID. And then we'll allow you the opportunity to um, target them with something that's custom. So these custom audiences, you can, you can run as many of these as you want. You could target your team captains from one event. You could target your gala guests from last year or your um, you know, golf, golf tournament um, participants or your donors. You could target people by um, anything, really, and they're already known to you. So you can retarget them with some messaging. So uh, last year, over the holiday period, there is an organization called Pathways Education in, um, in Canada, and they ran a holiday campaign. And um, as the end of year, typical, most charities, uh, this is sort of like that thing that they say, tend to do about 30% of their online giving in the last month of the year, often those last three days of the year. Um, so in December they were running their holiday campaign and what they decided to do, since they were already uh, blasting people with uh, targeted emails, you know, um, uh, reaching out to them on social media, they um, wanted to remind their loyal donors to give at the end of the year. So they used the custom audiences feature, which was to, um, they uploaded their file of people that they were already messaging emails to. And inside Facebook, and then created crafted messages just for them to remind them and to match up with the emails that they were already sending them. And um, in doing this campaign, it boosted their year-end gifts by 20%. And that was with a warm audience of people that they already knew. They managed to lift that file by reminding them on multiple platforms. So they were getting messages from the organization in email, and they were getting a similar message just for them uh, on Facebook. And I was talking to um, the organization, and I think this is just one example of a a fantastic case study. There's lots of them out there with peer-to-peer and events in particular, but this was a direct appeal, which I think is, of course, every organization has a direct appeal, especially around the holidays. And they said that the average number of times a donor viewed the Facebook ad was seven times. So it just goes to show how frequent messaging and reminding our um, prospects, our event participants, our donors uh, about who we are and what we're doing and what our messaging is really does help at the end of the day.
0: Claire, how often should an organization be in touch Uh, I mean, nobody wants to be bombarded with emails. Yeah, that's a loaded question. You've talked about crafting messages. That's just a great, Mm -hmm. great phrase for people to remember. Uh, But how often should we be touching our, our, uh, our clients, whoever they happen to be?
3: Yeah, that's a loaded question because it could depend on what audience, what platform, what message, right? So, um, each channel, obviously, you, you wouldn't want to email, um, somebody every single day. You probably, but you could definitely, you know, tweet on, on Twitter every single day. Um, so in terms of bombarding people, what I think is more important for charities and nonprofits is to see if they've been keeping track of what their schedule of communications is, both offline and online, sort of in a shared editorial calendar, and then seeing if they're tracking what their results are over time. So a lot of organizations have silos, and maybe they're not as effective as they could be. In terms of how they're reaching out to people, or some organizations have a monthly newsletter. They just do the monthly newsletter because that's what they've been doing for a couple years, and they don't actually look to see if their um, their rate of unsubscribers is going up, or if um, their file is growing, if any of those people are actually opening and clicking through the monthly newsletter, that sort of thing. So what I would say for for organizations, rather than listen to somebody tell you, oh, you should do this, you know, once a week on Facebook, or this once a week on your email, is to benchmark your own numbers and then streamline everything so that you know how you are um, functioning so far so that you can do better for um, the next quarter or the next month. What um, I often hear in class, because I I teach at George Brown College, I teach digital strategies for nonprofits in, um, in Toronto is um, students will say, what's a good conversion rate? (laughs) That's like a big question. You know, um, what's a good conversion rate on online donation or what's a good conversion rate on email opens? And um, I think that the most important advice for anybody, especially if you're starting out, is that a good conversion rate is one that's better than the one you had the last time (laughs) you were looking at your own metrics. That's a good conversion rate, right? Because if but, you start comparing yourselves to other organizations, you can say, oh, but the American Red Cross has a 13% conversion rate and ours is only 5%. If the American Red Cross, just as an example, um, 13% sounds really high, but if last quarter or the last this time last year, their conversion rate was 20% and now it's 13%, and last year or last quarter, yours was 2% and now it's 5%, you're crushing it compared to um this other organization so uh that's the the, that's the best way that i can um, answer a really big question like that one
0: right i appreciate it It is a loaded question uh claire a lot of our audience uh, that listen to our podcast your events with benefits are volunteers uh, there A lot of them don't have very much experience at all uh, in the world of, of fundraising. And so let's just, and I know this whole online thing, we're talking about the importance of digital marketing and social media and all the rest of it. Let's just clarify some of the terminology here that we're talking about. So starting with things like conversion rate, I know myself here a year ago, we, we were doing very, very little online. We're now transitioning our business. So it is primarily online, our marketing and whatnot. And I'm just learning all these new things, onboarding and CSRs and CRMs and this and that. So <laughs> let's start with a basic thing, the conversion rate. What are we talking about?
3: Okay, conversion rate just means what number of people took the action that you wanted to take out of um, the group of people that you asked to take that action. So if um, like a really good example would be that um, m- most people know that you can track the number of views or hits on a web page. So if you have a donation form, you know that you can tell how many people that month hit your donation form. And that's a metric that typically a lot of organizations are, are, are aware of on sort of a, a bigger le- level. How many people came to our charity's website this month? Um, how many people hit the donate Now button exactly, right? Um, but that's just people who have had the opportunity to view your content or be directed to your content. Conversion would be if they then, on the donation form, uh, put in their credit card details or PayPal details, you know, and hit the checkout button, went to the payment gateway and they made a donation. So that could be um, so the number of people that did that, from the original number is your conversion rate. But when we talk about conversion online, there are tons of different things that are really important to us in the nonprofit world that aren't necessarily about payments. So getting people to register for your event, that's also a conversion point because you decided it was an action you wanted people to take. And that's a big one. So that might not have payment associated to it or it might someone comes to your website and says, oh, I want to sign up for that 5K, or yes, I want to do that golf tournament, and they fill in the the information online, they hit submit, bang, they're registered, that would be um, a, a conversion point for you another conversion uh, point that would be important for charities to be aware of would be your email subscribers. Because if I can't get a donation from you, if I can't get a a payment from you, getting a clean email address is a really valuable thing for a charity or nonprofit. So if on your website you have anywhere that allows people to register for a newsletter or register to be notified when there's an action item, maybe you're an advocacy organization and you let people know about something they have to take action for, then getting people to Put in their email address and hit submit would be another valuable conversion point. So it's and the last for, one, oh yeah, I'm sorry.
0: sorry. It's very important then for our mm-hmm. listeners to understand the importance of building that email list.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, email is is the number one most um, effective online tactic. It has the highest conversion rate uh, to get people to make a donation.
0: And of course, the cost is negligible.
3: Oh, yeah, it it is negligible. And I love what, um, well, we we know that many people are talking about the idea of integrated strategies being really important. So that's no surprise. We know that we have to line up our our branding on our direct mail, has to manage, manage, uh, also match the um, branding on our website. So we know that. Uh, what I really like is when we start using these techniques in concert. So again, Pathways to Education, that was a great example. They used Facebook and emails to remind people to make a gift at the end of the year. What you can do is if you know that email has a high conversion rate for you, or maybe it's even direct mail is still has a high conversion rate for your organization, no problem. You can use social strategies to improve your email and your print. So for instance, you could run an ad on Facebook And you could test the copy and images that you might want to use for an email blast or a direct mail blast, which are much bigger, much more expensive, especially if you're putting a direct mail package. So for $5 a day, you can run a split A-B test on Facebook where you try two different uh, subject lines maybe, and maybe you try two different photographs. You know, one you've got the puppy, one you've got the kid, you know, you try to see which one gets more people to click, which one um, gets more people to engage, and then you use the winning one for the other tactic that is uh, much more difficult for you to um, to change. For instance, printing a direct mail package or sending out an e-blast to 600,000 email addresses that you happen to have in your database. You're only going to do that maybe once this week and you want to make sure that you have the most effective subject line, the most effective content, the cutest puppy picture, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So, Facebook can offer you, or, or any social network, offers you these opportunities to um, improve what you're doing on other channels.
0: So, for our listeners, Claire, that have not gone too far down this path yet, and this is all maybe a little bit overwhelming, where would they get started if they're if they've come around and they're thinking they know that they need to start building a list, need to start managing that list, marketing to the list? Uh, where do, where do you begin?
3: Okay, so I think where I would begin, um, and uh, well, one thing I just want to let your listeners know is that um, thankfully these platforms know that not everybody is going to be a digital expert or is a digital native. You know, that has grown up with a smartphone or grown up with social media. I know I definitely didn't. So, how to use the platforms themselves? So, how to use LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. There's so many free online resources to help you, and in fact, the platforms themselves help you. For instance, if you were going to set up a Facebook ad, there's a wizard inside Facebook that makes it so simple. answers all your questions. You can do it. So if you have a Facebook account and you are able to post pictures on it, or if you're able to use Instagram yourself, you can figure out how to make ads. So physically how to do this stuff is not difficult, and I wouldn't want people to spend their time on the, um, the sort of the operational aspects of how to do stuff on social. I would want to spend more time on thinking about your strategy. So where this comes in is I think any organization should start thinking about building their digital audience personas. And what I mean by that is I think most charities and nonprofits out there have a typical donor persona. So, the donor persona is your, the person who is most likely to donate to your cause or most likely to engage with your cause. Many organizations have um, also uh, maybe a typical major gift donor or a typical event uh, pers- uh, participant or a typical volunteer profile. And so you put that together so that you can reach your typical donor. What I would suggest you do is go one step further and create a digital persona. And that's valuable in so many different ways because there's so many different things you can target by when you're looking to reach those digital, uh, reach those personas um, online that you, that go beyond stuff you would already have in your database. So for instance, I would think about if it was an event, I would start thinking about um, okay, what kinds of what kinds of people would be interested in my event? And what kinds of different personas within my event might I have? So you might have your person, if this was a peer-to-peer event, you might have your typical team captain, person who's really jazzed, who's a leader, wants to maybe register a bunch of people at their workplace. You might have your typical um, athlete participant who's, just, who's in it for the experience, not necessarily huge into the cause. You might have your typical volunteer persona. Maybe you need to rec- uh, get more volunteers. So he's like, they are interested in the cause and they really want to help out. And then you build out things like, what are their online interests? What are their favorite social networks? What causes like my own would they follow online? What's their favorite content, um, their, their, you know, previous events that they might have attended or previous engagement with your cause? All of these things you are able to um, target for inside social networks. And so you can find those people, whether they know you or not, whether they know your, um, you know, competitor organizations or not, um, and then get your messaging out to them. So I would build your personas first so that you really know them well and then think about what strategies you might use to reach them.
0: All right. When you say personas, I've, I've heard the term avatars. Is that the same thing? Sure. <laughs> All right. Sure, yeah. why not? Yeah, I know. And personas, is I, I love how you touched on this point, Claire.
2: This is a really great point. Personas are such a good way to really focus your marketing efforts, whatever they be. And, uh, you know, we go as far as to, you know, you want to name your persona, uh, you know, give them a name that, that's kind of fitting to their title, like, uh, you know, we have Development Director Daisy or Event Chair Emily, <laughs> right? You can even give them a yeah. picture. Uh, you want to find out, you know, their average age, what, you know, what kind of car do they drive? What, you know, you, it's, you know, you don't have to get, uh, it's, it's, it's more to kind of give them a personality, a face so that when mm-hmm. you do come up with your marketing messages, you it's much easier to speak to them. Uh, you're not just kind of coming up with copy that you would like. It's, it's more about how can we cater this messaging to these various personas? I love it. Thank you so much for providing that.
3: Well, uh, and you don't even have to stop at people who might be uh, guests at your event or participants or donors. You can think about the types of people that you want to be engaged with your cause, like typical media member. You can build a persona for a member of the media who is most likely to cover your event or, you know, build a relationship with them so that maybe after a year of getting your messaging, they um, will either participate or think of your event top of mind when they need something to um, write about. Or you might think about building a typical corporate sponsor um, persona, which is great too, because those have different needs than your donors or your team captains, volunteers, that kind of thing. And um, that's where LinkedIn comes in. I think LinkedIn has been really powerful for charities lately, because LinkedIn allows you some uh, search criteria that doesn't necessarily exist in Facebook or Twitter, for instance, job title. An employer. So you can actually go into a platform like LinkedIn and say, okay, we know that we want to increase the number of workplaces that are participating in our event. We can go and target for people who are in charge of CSR or HR or employee engagement. And we know that they have a mandate to get their employees involved in something that is a good cause that matches their um, corporation social responsibility mandate but also will be fun and that their employees will like, right? And so you can target messaging to them and say, hey, we've got a great opportunity for you. We're going to make it as easy as possible. You'll shine as an HR manager. Your employees will like this. We'll take care of all your worries. um, and, And come and enjoy our event and bring your employees. And what you're doing is you're going out to that targeted persona by their own pain point, they need to deliver employee engagement. They need to deliver social, uh, corporate social responsibility. Maybe you would go out to your typical donor in a different way. You would talk about your cause. You would talk about uh, you tell the emotional story about why your cause um, is something that they need to participate in and, and um, how they can help save um, the world and do good things for the world with a different persona, you might go after something else. So you wouldn't use the same messaging with two different personas. And um, that's where building out your digital personas really helps you align with what you're telling these different groups.
1: So Claire, this is Renee. Um, I think I need to thank you right now for bringing up this point that the companies you're trying to, you know, organizations may be trying to work with, whether they're trying to get uh, employee engagement for volunteerism or possibly even, um, you know, donations of any other type, um, that you're really emphasizing that you need to approach the representatives of these companies as people and that they do have their own needs that have to be met and I feel like a lot of organizations tend to forget that because they look at them like dollar signs <laughs> <banks>. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, completely. Yeah, and um, I just want, really want to thank you for emphasizing that because it, it really does make a difference when the organizations talk to these representatives, again, whether they're in HR or CSR, uh, about um, what they can actually provide to that person and their companies as well.
3: Yes, I think that that's really, really important, and um, that's where fundraisers can shine because we're people, we're people, people, right? And so we um, we know how to build relationships, and it doesn't always have to. You would not build the same relationship the same way with every different type of person that you engage with at your cause. So sometimes it can really help your organization if you sit down and say, okay, you likely already have your typical donor profile built, um, and if you don't, then this is a great opportunity to do that. But then think about all the other people that engage with your organization, those volunteers, event participants, the corporate sponsors, um, and their employees. What do their employees want to get out of engaging with your organization? And then think about what matters to them, what messaging will motivate them. And that's where we come back to conversion, how you increase your conversion by better motivation. You want people to take the right action at the right time on the right channel, right? So, um, the, the example that I used, I think, in the AFP presentation was that if you have a, a 5K obstacle course and, you know, you, it, you, you can fundraise in teams and there's a, a registration fee to even sign up for it and it's like this, this cool, crazy event, um, you might want a message to young millennials talking about the event experience itself, because we know that millennials are experiential. They, they, they're, they're chasing that. They're looking for um, something that will be great on Instagram. And so the example that I used was if you were going to message to them, you would say something like, do it for the gram, right? Which just means like when you do and you do something online, just uh, it might be a little bit silly or ridiculous, but you get a great photo and a good video out of it at the end of the day. And then because millennials are cause-minded, you might want to remind them, hey, save polar bears, but look ridiculous while doing it. Um, So that might be the messaging that you would give um, a millennial, right? And then when it comes to getting workplaces and employers involved, you might say for the exact same event, you might go out with the subject line, easy team building, your employees run the craziest course in New York City. Right? So that means, ooh, easy team building. That's that's one of the things that's my mandate uh, working for HR or CSR and my employees are going to do something unique. The craziest course in New York, okay, that sounds that sounds fun. That speaks to all my needs. Completely different messaging than you would give the the young millennial. But at the end of the day, if you get them both to convert to register for the event, then um, you're doing well.
0: Wow, that's just a great explanation you've given uh, about the importance of uh, understanding your entire market. Uh, we were attending a benefit auction specialist summit back in San Diego, I guess last September, where we they're in. And they said one of the neatest ways to attract young people to your galas and your events now is craft beer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you no, know, it's not, not so much... Not so much the wine as much anymore as the craft beer, you know. So. That
3: would work for me. That would work for me. <laughs> I Isn't have another example.
0: Um, I'm going to ask you real quick just about some secrets here uh, uh-huh. in using social media effectively. Let's take an example of uh, Facebook. I know that anytime time uh, I post something on Facebook, you know, one day you might reach uh, 113 people, and we've had a couple that hit 75,000 people. Um Do you have any secrets when you're creating any kind of messaging on social media, how you can um, encourage people to share that message and get those numbers up?
3: Um, yes, okay, it really helps to be, to, to, to track um, what's been effective and what hasn't been effective, and that might involve a little bit of long-term experimentation because every audience is a little bit different. But there are some truisms, especially for Facebook. Um, it's a visual platform, so really good, um, great f- photos, great videos. The more video any charity or nonprofit can do this year, that's where I would put some effort towards if you're thinking about your collateral. Um, infographic, then um, I would also use the tactic of boosting your most successful content. So I would look there, um, look inside your your stats, but also Facebook does tell you this information, tells you um, how well you're doing with uh, your posts and If you had a really great photo or a really great story, a really great video that was doing really well, I would boost it and consistently boost it for a small amount of money will help um, increase um, your impact inside Facebook. I don't want to say that it's always pay for play these days, but organic is really difficult, especially for some of the smaller organizations or small to medium, or if you're just starting out on a social platform. So I would pay attention to... What works best for your audience, start tracking that down in an editorial calendar, um, and then just um, keep an eye on what uh, we know uh, from industry trends. Plenty of research out there that shows those impactful photos, impactful videos um, are, are really effective. And, and a it's tip pretty... for video, too, would be you don't forget that most people are going to be, um, everything that you do on social has to be mobile optimized. And that's, well, putting a photo on is not a big deal. The majority of social content is now consumed on smartphones and tablets, the majority of them being smartphones. So expect whoever sees your content is going to be on a smartphone. That means that they might be not able to turn the sound on for their video so make sure you have uh, the um, captions on there or you have text in your video, um, and um, little things like that. Don't link to a 30 megabyte PDF download. <laughs> That's not going to work. You know, um, Make sure everything that you post, if it has a conversion point, for instance, you post Donate Now, make sure that your Donate Now form is mobile optimized.
0: Okay, so that's a, that's a button right on the video, right on the uh, phone, they could just touch and take some straight to purchase tickets or whatever.
3: Yeah, there's different things. There's different things that you can use. So if you're one of the um, charities in, inside Facebook that does have the Donate Now um, button there, um, that's great. If you prefer your donors to go to your own donation form or, or donate on your own site or you're on another platform, maybe like Twitter or something like that, um, then um, just make sure that you've tested that your donation form works on a smartphone The vast majority of traffic now on social platforms is mobile traffic. And so if you want people to be able to complete the action that you ask them, sign up for a petition or make a donation or buy a T-shirt or whatever it is that you ask them to do, they have to be able to do it on a smartphone.
0: Hmm. Wow, so much information. Um, Let's talk about some of your favorite apps that you'd like to use.
3: Okay, um I really like Instagram, which is good because a lot of people like Instagram, so I really enjoy that one and how are um, you using
0: that to effect?
3: Oh, I'm just using that for fun <laughs> it's okay. just my, my my fun one but um, I think it's a fantastic one for charities and nonprofits uh, because it's all about storytelling, so it's a visual platform it's about um, videos it's about photos. Charities can tell really great stories when um, they're on Instagram. And of course, it's aligned with uh, Facebook as the parent company there. So you can match any of your advertising that you might be doing on Facebook with Instagram automatically. So you have that sort of seamless um, integration. And there are so many more options now for conversion inside um, Instagram. So you can get people to click off and read more. So maybe advocacy or um, program delivery is one of the things that is important for your cause. You need people to um, join a program or learn more information. You can always um, have that sign up or learn more from Instagram. Or if you want people to register for an event or if you want them to make a donation to your cause or on the holidays and you have some uh, fantastic holiday video, uh, Instagram is a great platform for that. Um, it's also, I've added so many new features lately. It's competing with Snapchat, of course. Um, the eyeballs are definitely on uh, Instagram. So. I really like that one. But what I think is more important for charities and nonprofits to think about is when you're making your digital profiles of the people who are typically engaged with your cause, think about what channel is most important for them. Because I just offered up the example of um, being able to find HR managers and CSR experts, employee engagement officers inside LinkedIn, you're going to be much more effective targeting them with a workplace related message inside um, LinkedIn by their job title than you would be by targeting by age, gender, location, you know um, interests, things like that inside um, Instagram. And um, the other thing I would let people know about that you can do on social networks, which I think is great, is that you can target messaging to people that are following causes that are similar to your own or events that are similar to your own. And that's fantastic, too, because you might have the ability to acquire people who are interested in, in things related to you but who have not yet met you, you know? And then you go out with your messaging, you go out with your... Um, Make your uh, case for why your cause is important, why you should be one of those top three causes that people care about. And I think that's what charities and nonprofits are already good at. They know their cause well. They have powerful stories. They have great content. And it's about how you give that great content to the right audience at the right time so that you can get a good result, convert them to something fantastic.
0: All right. Any other apps that you'd like to mention that uh, you're finding effective out there right now?
3: Hmm. Um, well, there, uh, I think that there are a lot of free apps for charities to help them with um, some of their, um, you know, digital services. I think a lot of, if you've tried Canva.com. Yeah, it's, um, yeah it's a, there's a lot of free and low-cost ways, I think, for, for charities to play around in the design space. So I like those. I like the photo editing apps that you can just download for you know, $5.99 or $1.99 from your um, app store and then improve your photography or put a, a, a filter over your videos, um, even just using iMovie to make a good videos. There are so many really low-cost ways for you to improve your images, your infographics, your videos. It's just a matter of putting a little bit of time, which is great, instead of putting a, uh, a lot of money into um, uh, that resource. I remember back in the day when we were cutting videos for charities, and it, it was literally um, get the video off a of tape, and then digitize it, and then edit it in the editing suite. And now uh, it's really easy to play around with you know, even if you have a GoPro at an event, then, you know, play around with it on your laptop or on your phone and um, cut cut a great story. I think that it's leveled the playing field for a lot of organizations, which is fantastic when you see especially small and medium-sized organizations being able to make really fun, impactful videos, tell a great story about their cause or about their event or what they're doing uh, without having to spend half a million dollars (laughs) at an advertising firm to come up with a great story. Uh, I think that that's really exciting right now.
0: And let's remind everybody, keep those videos short.
3: (laughs) Yes, yes, absolutely. And remember that they're likely to be viewed on a smartphone if you're posting them online.
0: Yeah. Uh, Just a recommendation, how long a a video should be if you're trying to get a quick message out on social media? What what would your advice be?
3: it's so funny because all the stats are like, okay, this group stops paying attention after eight seconds, or this group will like pay attention until 25 seconds. But um, I think one of the things that we've learned, it actually doesn't matter how long your video is, if it's a good story. So I would focus less on the, um, oh, it has to be under three minutes, or it has to be under eight minutes, and focus on how you're telling the story. If you're if you're going after that um, hero messaging, which is so popular right now, you're making your donor the hero, or you're making your um, your patient or your cause-related issue um, the center of the story, I think that that's, uh, your storytelling is more important than necessarily how long the video is.
0: Mm-hmm. Very good point.
3: Um,
0: yeah, and just not to oversell as well, I guess, is uh, important advice. Well, <laughs> Once your- I would say...
3: I would say if your video starts and it's like your CEO or executive director behind a wooden desk, that's not good. <laughs> that's not yeah. good. Like I think about how we we try not to do the letter from the CEO on the front page <laughs> of your website or in your newsletter. You know, it's kind of like just no, right? Um, so think about. When you're putting together those digital personas, you are there's a little box there. Think about what's their favorite content. What do they like the best, right? right. Um, and then then give them that content.
0: Yeah, and I always tell my clients too. You know, at the point in your video where people's eyes are starting to well up. You know that's yeah. that's the point. That's where you want to cut the video because you've got them in that emotional moment where now you can move them. If you're at the event, you can move them into the cash appeal or into the live auction, and you know. Oh, start. absolutely! You've got their hearts open now. Your auctioneer can go to work and start opening the wallets.
3: Oh, absolutely! We don't tell we don't tell charities and nonprofits how to tell the story because they have fantastic stories, and um, yeah, especially event professionals, they know. When, you know, the the lights go down at an event and then everyone's paying attention to the screen, you're like, okay, where's my tissue? I know I'm going to cry. And then I'm going to bid on that luxury villa (laughs) in the live auction for sure.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, Clara, I tell you, it's been a delight talking with you here today on Events with Benefits. And we thank you for sharing not only your time, which is very valuable, but uh, all of this wonderful expertise you have. We've been talking about social media and uh, we've been talking about digital marketing and whatnot. And uh, uh, maybe some of it got over the heads for a lot of our listeners. But I think you brought it back down to where everybody, you know, will have taken something away uh, today from this podcast. Now, where can they go for additional help?
3: Oh, okay. Well, you can um, check out frontstream.com. Great Um, website, We also have a blog. Oh, thank you very much. And we also have a blog where we talk about these issues. You can subscribe for our blog and um, we send updates. We have a a bunch of articles about a digital strategy for nonprofits, but also we share information about what other charities are doing and cool examples and things like that that we've seen. We have a webinar program. It's free webinars for charities and nonprofits on all sorts of different topics. I think next one we have coming up, we'll be doing um, a Giving Tuesday one. So yeah, that'll be, um, uh, you know, near the end of the year, we'll be talking about giving days and um, how you can maximize crowdfunding, but I would check the webinar tab on friendsroom.com. And um, we also have a, a podcast coming out soon, which I'm super excited about because I love podcasts, uh, which is geared towards talking about um, working in the nonprofit sector, what it's like particularly for young professionals in the nonprofit sector, what they need to know, um, what we wish we knew when we were younger, and interviewing um, lots of young nonprofit non-pro- uh, professionals um, that uh, we think have fantastic and interesting stories about their career.
0: Very good. Well, we'll certainly look forward to that. Now, uh, in the show notes uh, following today's episode, uh, you'll have some good information and materials in there for our listeners?
3: Yes, absolutely. You'll make sure you get all that
0: great stuff. All right. Sounds good. Our guest today has been Claire Kerr, and Claire is uh, based out of Toronto, Ontario, uh, up there in Canada, uh, my stomping ground, and uh, she's the director of digital philanthropy at a company called Frontstream. As we said, great website, and uh, this has been a good one. Good show. Ian? Thank you so much, Claire. It's been uh, absolutely lovely having you.
2: And um, yeah, we look forward to listening to your podcast coming up.
3: (laughs) Thank you so much, guys.
0: Thanks for listening to the show this week. For show notes, special offers, or to listen to previous episodes, you can visit us at eventswithbenefits.com. Please also consider subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. And if you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and write us a review while you're there. If you have any questions or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at hosts at eventswithbenefits.com. We'll see you next time.